God can do as He pleases and nobody can say stop. No military can say stop. Nobody can stop him. He's the sovereign. Welcome to the Followers of the Way podcast for September 24th, 2017. Today our brother Omar brings us a message entitled, Natural Disasters. So indirectly, God, because of sin, subjected his creation to futility until he accomplishes his final work of redemption. So indirectly, this creation, this nature, this place in which we live will be subject to earthquakes, tornadoes, and all of those things, all of which are under the sovereign oversee of God. Brother Omar talks about the recent natural disasters throughout the world, including Hurricane Irma, Hurricane Maria, and the earthquake in Mexico. Brother Omar answers the question, if God is in control, why are these disasters happening? Now he'll be reading from Psalms 46, verse 8. So feel free to grab your Bible and follow along with us as we explore God's Word here on Followers of the Way. We're going to be in Psalms 46, verse 8. Now, I know I'm supposed to be doing the series on our statement of faith, but halfway through that I kind of stopped and uh, wanted to talk about a little bit about the things that are happening Mexico and the Caribbean and all those things. And I spent like two days in a row on Facebook just looking up information and all of that. And it got to the point where I was going crazy. So I had to stop for a little while and watching the news and looking at all these things. So I decided to talk a little bit about that, the issues that are happening. If you watch the news, you had the, the hurricanes and the earthquake on Mexico, Mexico City. And the death toll in Mexico is like 300 and something people, and it keeps going. I think it was 305, and that's just in Mexico City. And if you see the, the footage, like if you see the, the videos, see back in the day, you know, if, if something bad would happen, you could catch it on the news. Now everybody has like Facebook and phones and cameras, so you can see this thing as it's happening live. And it's almost like you're there, you're going through an earthquake. The, the stories, that are coming out are just unbelievable. I was reading an article in CNN, and see, Mexico's been getting hit with different earthquakes, like, since like two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. There's an earthquake that happened south of Mexico City, and the, they found this father underneath the rubble, and because they kept hearing a kid screaming, and when they you know, pulled out the father, he, apparently the, the, the father, had embraced his son as this house was collapsing and it collapsed on top of him. He died, but the son lived. So when they dug everything out and they found the father and they pulled the father out, the kid was there. So the, the father died hugging his kid. And uh, in Mexico City, you had the school that collapsed and they saying it's like 19 kids died also and they the rescuers are talking about, they're, they're pulling the bodies of the children and all that. So you, you, you have that situation like that, and obviously the hurricanes in the Caribbean, from what I hear, in Dominica it was 30 people were killed. There's more in St. Croix and the rest of the Virgin Islands. They're completely, they're not communi- you know, there's no communication there either. The destruction was just as bad as Puerto Rico, even worse. You don't see it in the media as much, but it's, it's just as bad. 
as, as you know, because we're closer to it, it's the situation in Puerto Rico. Um, we haven't heard from my uncle yet or anybody of our family or friends yet in the island, hoping that they're still alive. Uh, we don't know if they have water, we don't know if they have food. Um, gas is running out, food is running out, roads are getting cut up because bridges are collapsing. The reservoir or the dam in my town is filling and filling and filling and filling, but the gates are failing. They cannot open them to let the water out and the fear is that if it collapses, it's gonna dump a lake into the town and it's gonna flood 25,000 acres worth of land. So that's the, the other issue there. There's, so far in Puerto Rico, from what I've seen, 17 people killed. Three of them were three sisters that were in the room, and there's a fourth sister who walked out of the room to go to the kitchen to get something for them because they're bedridden, and there was a mudslide that fell and it came into the room and buried all three of them. And the news reporter went out there to you know, report on this and they talked to the sister and everything and they show the room full of, you know, the mud and all of that and the sister pointed out to the cameras is that the emergency people haven't been here yet and my sisters are still buried in that room underneath the mud. As, as, and they show it on the, on the, on the news report. So, um, so when you have that situation, when you look at all these things, um, one of the things that I, that I found that was interesting is, first of all, you feel so small and hopeless. Um, on, on Facebook, there's, a, there's this guy, he's like a comedian, he's not a Christian from Puerto Rico, and, and he posted something, he said that, you know, look at us Puerto Ricans, we think we're so great. Look at us now, we're nothing. We just, we lost everything. We don't know what's gonna happen. We have no power for months. And when you see um, things like that, that that happen, you realize how there's this little fine thread that we're all holding onto, and all it takes is a little shake, right? A little drop, and we all plunge into chaos, right? The, one of the things that they worry about is because Mexico is in the same fault line as California. So these earthquakes are kind of traveling through Mexico. They're thinking if they work their way into California, we may see, right, they've talked, this, they've talked about this forever, we may see a major earthquake in California. 50% well, of the food in this country comes from California. Imagine what would happen overnight. Food shortages, food prices going up. It can, plunged this whole place into chaos. So that's how, that's how small we are, see how, how much pride and trust we have in ourselves, and it only takes is the little drop of a pin and we all collapse into nothing because we're so, so small. And um, one of the things that, when I guess I was moved to speak about what was happening, I landed in this verse, Psalms 46, verse 8, and I like to explain it a little bit because I, I, uh, I'm going to try to avoid the end of time signs thing, which is popular now, right? You got earthquakes and all of that. It's the end of the world. I don't believe that. 
because we would have ended already. Earthquakes have been around for a while. Hurricanes have been around for a while. But in the Bible, in Psalms 46, verse 8, it says this. It says, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. Now, I want to explain that a little bit. The idea that God, whenever something bad happens, like a natural disaster, which is different from, you know, like an act of violence, right? When, when the shooting happened here in Orlando, the 50 people were killed. We know that's evil men acting out. That's men out of their own sin acting out, harming other people. But when a natural disaster happens, the idea that, that God may have something to do with this is something that we today don't like. We don't say that. We don't, we don't want to, you know, you know God, doesn't, God is not that mean. I've heard people say that on Facebook. God is not that mean, etc. So I like to explain how desolations or destruction, it's overall God's work. There's two ways of looking at it. It might be a direct act of God or may be indirectly allowed by God. In either case, it's God's sovereign work. So here's what I mean when I mean it might be a direct act of God. Now, the church throughout history in the olden days always believed that when destruction came upon a people, they always saw two things. God is the author and sin is the cause. God is the author and sin is the cause. In the 1750, there was an earthquake that hit the city of London. Um, it destroyed, uh, it didn't kill a lot of people, but it destroyed some things, etc. And John Wesley was in London at the time when the earthquake happened. And John Wesley preached the sermon out of this very same verse I coincidentally found. And the name of the sermon is The Cause and Cure for Earthquakes. This is the name of the sermon. The Cause and Cure for Earthquakes. John Wesley points out in this sermon that sin is the moral cause of any destruction that comes upon a people. And God is the overall sovereign that oversees the destruction that may come upon a people. Now, if you look at your Bible, I'm going to show this from the Bible, Leviticus chapter 18, verse 25, God tells the Jewish people that he's going to give them this land that he has promised them, but he gives them the reason why he's given it to them and why the people that live in that land are being displaced. So it's Leviticus 18, 25, he says this, Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things, for by all these things the nations I'm driving out before you have become unclean. And the land became unclean, so that I punish its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules, and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who were before you did all those abominations, so that the land became unclean lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean as it vomited out the nation that was before you. Now notice that these nations that God judged were not 
even in direct covenant with him. These were pagan nations. And, and God tells the Jewish people, I kicked them out because they, they did all these abominations. Well, what abominations? The abominations that God had told the Jewish people in his law that they should not do. So the pagan nations were judged by God for breaking the law that God gave to his covenant people. Why is that? Because God's laws are universally binding upon all nations under heaven. Irregardless of what nation it is, God can judge a nation for disobeying and breaking his law. So he warns Israel, the land in which, into which you're going to is being displaced of its people because they did these abominations. You will go into that land, but if you follow in the same customs that they did, the land will vomit you out also, just as it did them. Now, notice the, the language, the land will vomit you out. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say, I will kick you out. He says, the land will vomit you out. The land will take you out. See, there seems to be a correlation, right? If, if sin may come upon a people that, and it's bad enough that it builds up and it builds up and it builds up, God says the land will vomit them out. The land would, you know, like when Abel, remember when Abel was killed, what did God say to Cain? Right? The blood of your brother cried out to me from the ground. And God did what? Kicked them out of there and send them somewhere else. When something that is a natural disaster comes upon a people, right? It can be a direct judgment from God. That's not something that we can shy away from and say no. It can be. We don't know. I cannot tell you, you know, what happened in Mexico is God necessarily judging Mexican people for what they did. Can't. We don't know that, right? And it's not an individual, personal thing, right? We know there's people in these places that are children. We know there's believers who suffer through these things. We know all of that. So it's not an, God is not individually judging a people just because they're Mexicans or whatever. But it can be that God may judge nations because of their sin directly, a direct act from God. Now, God's warning to Israel eventually come true because the Jewish people did not heed the warning. And they rebel. And in Ezekiel chapter 5, verse 15, God tells them, You shall be a reproach and a taunt, a warning and a horror to the nations all around you when I execute judgments on you in anger and fury and with furious rebukes. I am the Lord. I have spoken. The Jewish people didn't heed the warning that God gave them. And judgment came upon them. They were kicked out of the land. Natural disasters happened. War happens. All these things happened because they, not, they did not heed God's warning to them. In Isaiah uh, 34, verse 5, God says to Edom. This is not Israel. This is Edom. My sword descends for judgment upon Edom, upon the people I have devoted to destruction. So Israel, God's chosen nation, Edom, just a regular country that has nothing, no direct covenant with God. Both of them 
are judged by God directly. Through natural disasters or war or whatever, God can and does directly judge a people. Now, you know, we live here, we're comfortable, it's nice here, even when bad things happen. We forget sometimes, we can relate sometimes to people that are going through these situations. As Christians, we lose sight of God's holiness. And we lose sight of how holy He is and how even if we suffer, we're still, we're so undeserving. You see what I mean? What I'm trying to say is that we're so undeserving. Why would God do this? Why would God, you know, take life? Why shouldn't he? You see what I'm saying? The miracle is not that people have perished. The miracle is that there's people who are still alive. That's the miracle. Why should not he kill? That's the, the amazing part. We see that, and, and what gets me is, it's not, you know, it's like, why am I alive? It's basically what I want to say. You know, not why those people died, but why am I alive still? Or why any of us are here still? God is the sovereign. He can take life. And this is the, what the church has always believed. I don't know what happened to the church, but this is what we've always believed. And in the Bible, King Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man in the Old Testament. I mean, when you talk about a powerful king in the Old Testament, Nebuchadnezzar, it's about, it, he's it as far as power and might. He was at the time the leader of the most powerful nation in the world. Greatest empire, the superpower, right? And if you know the story in the book of Daniel, God, uh, as it was usual of kings back in those days, they thought that they were the law, right? Whatever the king said, that was law. The kings did whatever they wanted. Their word was law. They did arbitrary things. Most of them got away with it. Nebuchadnezzar thought that he could until God decided to teach him a lesson. So if you know this story, um, Nebuchadnezzar is judged by God. He is brought down low. He's forced to live with animals and all of that stuff. And eventually, he is restored. So Nebuchadnezzar decides to give a speech and to address all the nations of the world. So think of the United Nations, right? And you have Nebuchadnezzar goes to the United Nations. He stands there. He gives a speech to all the nations of the world. This is why he says, Daniel chapter 4 Daniel chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth. So Nebuchadnezzar goes to the United Nations, so to speak. He's going to give a speech. Cameras are on him, and he says this. Uh, to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show signs and wonders the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me, how great are His signs, how mighty is His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and His dominion endures from generation to generation. So that's the beginning of His speech. 
most powerful man in the world stands up, addresses the whole world, and he tells them, I'm going to tell you what God has done to me and that his kingdom, the most powerful man in the world with the greatest empire, says that his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Nebuchadnezzar gives this whole story. He goes on to tell them this whole story that happened to him. And in verse 34, he concludes... He says this, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and reason returned to me. And I bless the most high and praise and honor him who lives forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generations to generations. All of the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? So the most powerful man in the world realizes that he is nothing. And that all of the inhabitants of the world are nothing. And that God can do as he pleases and nobody can say stop. No military can say stop. Nobody can stop him. He's the sovereign. If God decides, and he has, we don't, we, we don't know the ways of God. We're, we're human beings and when God does something, we can only see one thing. We don't know about all the other million things that he may be doing. We see that one thing. But the answer is, is whatever has happened here, a judgment from God, we don't know maybe. So, okay, we, I live in Florida. I, I live in America. I'm blessed. Nothing's happening to me over here. Right? We're good. Is that the answer? Luke 13, remember that? Jesus tells the Jewish people, right? You have, you have a horrible thing happens. A tower fell, Luke chapter 13, and it killed 18 people. Boom. Just fell, killed 18 people. People will die. And Jesus tells his disciples, do you think that all of those 18 people who died were worse than any other sinners? In Jerusalem, I say no. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. So do you think that all of those brown people in Mexico were worse sinners than any of us here in America? I say to us, no. Unless we repent, we will likewise perish. This is God's work. He's the sovereign. He can directly, if he chooses to, judge nations and people. Could it be that after years of corruption and 700 murders a year and um, political corruption that God decided to wipe out Puerto Rico? I don't know. It might be the case. I mean, I can't defend, I can't defend my people and say, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> I could say, we're lucky there's still some people alive. Why, you know, why was God so merciful? I can say that. But I can't say why, why, why would he? The other point is that God indirectly allows 
disaster to come upon a people, right? So we know, we all know as believers that things are the way they are because we live in a fallen world. The world is fallen. It's fallen. Why? Because Adam fell. He fell because he sinned. And ever since that time till now, we live in a world that is fallen. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, there's an interesting account or an interesting um, text that Paul kind of hints at something. And he says this, he says, Romans 8, 18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be free from its bondage to corruption to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions of sons, the redemption of our bodies. So Paul says the creation was subjected to futility by he who subjected to it. So God, right, when Adam fell, God subjected the creation to futility. So the creation itself, that is nature, it's groaning and is travailing, awaiting the revealing of the sons of God, awaiting to be set free from its bondage. See, God's redemption of our bodies, our, what are our bodies made out of? Dirt. Dirt. God is going to redeem our bodies. And he's going to redeem the earth. One day we know there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. When God comes back, when sin is finally done away with, we will have new bodies and there will be a new heavens and there's going to be a new earth. Creation is not going to be, God is not going to take, God made this planet. He's not going to take it and throw it away and leave us floating in the sky. This is going to be redeemed. This is going to be renewed along with our bodies. Till that happens, creation is groaning and travailing. Our bodies decay, right? Our bodies decay, we get sick, we die. Creation is also subject to futility, it's in bondage, it's decaying, it's dying, it's groaning, it's travailing, awaiting for the revelation of God's children when we are redeemed. When we're renewed eventually, our bodies. Till then, creation is groaning. And the groanings of creation, because we know there was no earthquakes, right? When God made his garden, right? When he created all things, we didn't read that Adam went through an earthquake. He had to go and find a place to hide. All these things are a result of sin. Sin came into the world. The world has plunged into chaos since then, both spiritually and also physically. That's the effect of sin. So indirectly, God, because of sin, subjected his creation to futility until he accomplishes his final work of redemption. 
So indirectly, this creation, this nature, this place in which we live will be subject to earthquakes, tornadoes, and all of those things, all of which are under the sovereign oversee of God. So whether directly or indirectly because of sin, destruction that comes upon us are God's work. Because like Olu said, he's either doing it or he's allowing it. He could stop it. It doesn't take much for him to see the earth, you know, a, a, a hurricane coming. I mean, we can, nowadays, it's like two weeks before a hurricane shows up, you're hearing about it in the news. I mean, that's plenty of time for God to go, boom, that's it, it's gone. He doesn't. He's superintending this world in which is subject to decay, travail, and earthquakes, and famine, and all these things, and we suffer through them. That's God's work. So, devastation, devastation, destruction, famine, are all under the umbrella of God's sovereign work upon this world. Because of that, they have meaning. They have purpose. Things don't just happen and it's random. We can't fall into, well, hurricanes just happen. Hurricanes happen. They have a reason and they have a purpose. They're not random. Now, I love how secular people don't like that. Oh, you saying that this hurricane happened because God did it. But they don't have problems saying Mother Nature is sending us a message about global warming. So it's bad. God's, God may be sending a message. That's bad. But Mother Nature, whoever that is, I don't know who that is. But Mother Nature is sending us a message that we need to do whatever about global warming. God is sending us a message that we need to do something about sin, which is the reason why these things are happening. Directly or indirectly is a result of sin. That's the message. And there is no mother nature. There's God the Father who controls nature. So, what does this all mean when we see these things happen? Um, or couple of considerations or our reaction to them. Um, obviously, as human beings, we see people suffering. We have bodies. You know, we think about what could happen if we were in the same situation. We have empathy. We want to help. We, we want to give our monies and all those things. And all those things are great and important. And for the church, helping is an obligation. It's not our choice. It's an obligation. We, somebody's hurting. Somebody's poor. The obligation of the church is... To help. That's a command from God. There's no excuse. You do that. If we don't do that, unfortunately, the government has to come in and do it. That's what's happened. So once you get beyond all of that, you know, beyond the human empathy, human reaction, the desire to help, in this case, the desperation, right? You can't get a hold of your family for one, two, three days. I mean, I was telling my wife, imagine if you know, your mom, there was something happened in New York and you turn on the TV and you see the Bronx half destroyed and you haven't heard from your mom in four days. There's a lot of desperation that comes from that. I mean, I've seen people on Facebook going crazy. I have a friend that posted on Facebook saying, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna cut off Facebook for now because I haven't heard of my family and I can't keep, I can't keep watching these pictures. Seeing these pictures, I just, I, he just completely 
deactivated Facebook altogether. So once you get beyond all of that, the first thing that we need to consider is that life is a loan from God. It's not a gift from God. It's a loan. A loan means that God gives it to you and then once the time is served, he takes it back. Life is a loan from God. Those people that died in the earthquake in Mexico went to work thinking tomorrow I'm going to do this and that, and they died. We came here thinking we're going to go, we're going to listen to all my preaching stuff, and then we're going to go eat afterwards. We don't know what's going to happen afterwards. Life is a loan from God. He gives it to you. He could take it away. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 39 says, See now that I, even I am he. There is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. You will live as long as God allows you to live no more and no less. Every single one of us here. When you see disaster, the first thing that you have to do is you have to reflect on life. Life is a loan from God. He gives it to you. He one day will take it back. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2, the wise man, the, the preacher, in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2, he says this. He says, It is better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. For this is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to heart. It is better to go to a house of mourning, that is a funeral, than a house of feasting, that is a, a celebration. For that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to heart, that is the living will reflect on that. He goes on to say, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of the fool is in the house of mirth, that is... Party, celebration, having a good time. The wise man, his heart is in the house of mourning. That is, the wise man is always reflecting on death and life. And what have I done? The fool, he doesn't have time for that. He wants to have a good time. He wants to be entertained all the time. He doesn't think about death. He only thinks about life and how good it is. Psalms 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that may, we may apply, the King James, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Teach us to number our days. Our days are numbered. Our days are numbered by God. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. First reaction when we see these things happen is my life. What have I done? What will I do with the time that I have here that God has given me that he will take one day? What am I doing for him? How am I living for him? One day he's going to call me home and when he does... What would I have to show? That's the first thing. The second thing will be the last thing is to pray. Specifically, to pray for revival. When we, when we look at these things, 
you got this period. Right now we're in the pride period, at least in Puerto Rico. We want to rebuild. We're going we're gonna to do this better. We're going to take over this. We got this. We're on the second day, you know, third day, no power, no electricity, no food. Fifth day, a week goes by, a month goes by. The second month goes by, you're going to see that changing into chaos, probably, unfortunately. So this is the time that we need to pray, not just for rebuilding and all that, but praying for revival. Because if this is God's work, which it is, it has a purpose, and the purpose is to bring death unto man's kind, to bring it up to the front. See? And Wesley preached in his sermon, is like, these earthquakes that are happening in London and this city is God's message saying, prepare to meet your God. So if God is bringing this to the front of our lives, he's saying, are you prepared to meet your God now? So when we pray, we need to pray for revival. We need to pray for his church now in Mexico and all these places to be prophetic, to preach revival, to preach repentance. Because this is, this is the time. In fact, destructions are, in a way, God's mercy. Because the worst thing that can happen to a nation, the worst judgment that God gives in a nation, you know what it is? It's nothing. Just lets them go. Pulls out. Romans chapter 1, it says that. He gives them over to their own depraved minds. So they can do what they want. He leaves. That's the worst judgment. An act of mercy is disaster comes because that's, oh no, God, God is knocking here. What, what have we been doing all this time? So this, this is actually a time to pray for revival. This is the best time to pray for it. This is the best time to preach the gospel. Amen. Amen. Because this is the time where um, death is being brought up. People feel small and hopeless. Mm -hmm. People are getting a foretaste. This is a foretaste of the day of judgment. Imagine the day of judgment when there is not going to be any reprieve then. And God shows up really. The day of judgment, God's going to really show up and all his might and power. So this is the perfect time for revival. Because any rebuilding that is going to be done, it needs to be done on the gospel, the scripture, and God's law. You don't rebuild a nation with good ideas. That's a waste of time. You rebuild a nation on scriptures. So when we pray, if we're going to pray for any of these places, we need to pray for revival and for God to move and for salvation to happen and for his law to be preached and for his scriptures to be taught properly. That's what we, we need. And I can tell you for all the years that I've read the history of Puerto Rico and I have been up to my head with all the political issues that happen over there, I can tell you the answer to all of that is just very simply in the gospel. That's all it is. This is very simple. The answer to anything that you see happening in the world is the gospel. When people speak politics with me, they get annoyed because I quote the Bible to them. It's like, we're, not, we're talking about politics. We're not talking about, you know, religion. It's like, well, that's, why, that's precisely what I'm quoting. Is there a law that is better out there? 
You have any other God that you worship? Because I worship one God, His law is supreme. So when I talk about politics, perfect. God's law, that's all I'm going to give you. I don't know anything else. So spiritually, we need the gospel. Politically, we need the gospel. Economically, we need the gospel. People ain't stealing because they're saved. You're going to have pretty good economics. So we, we need to preach for revival, our efforts, that when we give food and we do all the things that we're going to do, beyond that, we need to make sure that we're praying or speaking or talking to people on the phone. It needs to be gospel centered on all of these things. We also have to pre- pray for revival here. Because like Jesus says, if you think there are any worse sinners than you are, you better repent because you will also perish. So we need to pray for revival here. Like Odu says, the problem that we have is that we don't have uh, uh, our idea of God is too low. That's why you hear people saying, oh, God, God, God ain't got nothing to do with this. God is going to use this. Okay, that's your God is here. But the God of the Bible is high and holy and mighty. And we are nothing. And when he moves, nobody can stay his hand because he's holy. So we need revival here. We need our churches to bring back the proper image of God and to lift God. Tozer, in his book, he says that no, no society ever rises up above his religion. Tozer said that in his book, Knowledge of the Holy. He says, no society ever rises up above its religion. No religion rises above its idea of God. So the idea of God of the church, if it's low, is going to bring the rest of the society lower. The higher God is, the higher the society will go. And we have taken God in America and basically dropped him down into some being that doesn't exist. And we, all we've done is we've brought the rest of society down along with it. So when we see the things that are happening and we blame the people, we, we need to look at ourselves and what we've done in the past 50 years. Because this, that book, Knowledge of the Holy, was written in like 1950-something. And already that was happening. So we need revival to raise up our, our idea of God so we can continue to raise up the rest of society. We need revival in all of these places more than anything. We can't keep living like this. You know, going to church on Sunday, hearing sermons and about I don't know what. We can't keep doing that anymore. Time runs out. Societies die out. Nations go away eventually. So we need, the world has no other place to go to to hear about God except for his church and his church alone. God has not assigned any other agency. We are the representatives of the kingdom of God on earth. The same way as an embassy, you know, the, you know what they call an embassy back in the days? A, a, say, a regular political, it's called a mission. That's what it was called. An embassy, they called it a mission. You know, Britain had missions in India. Okay, that was an embassy. The people of India had no way to, to, 
to see anything about the British government except they had to go to the British Embassy. Because the only the representative of the British government in India was the British Embassy. Well, the representative of the government of the Kingdom of God on Earth is the Church. So there's no other way to go but the Church. The Church has the keys of the Kingdom of Heaven. We've been given the means of grace in His Word. So, we need to pray for revival for us and for the people around the world that are going through this. And this, um, these things that are happening, these disasters, they should bring, or at least for me, it brought death home, brought it close. And it made me realize how small we really are. And how if God were, if, if God decided to move against any nation, it will be hopeless completely. So, as we, uh, I guess we're going to figure out a way to help all these places as a church, and we're going to figure out a way to um, somehow provide aid or whatnot. We need to pray for revival, and we need to be willing to be conduits somehow of revival Amen. towards all these peoples and all of these places. And we need to look at God's work upon the earth with fear and trembling and humbling and realize that He is sovereign, that He is God, and He's righteous and He's holy, and that He's also loving and long-suffering. And He's awaiting for people to repent and turn to Him. So I just wanted to share that. Um, it's not a very smooth sermon, I know that, but I felt like I needed to say that. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy, Lord. I thank that you are uh, high and mighty, Lord, and holy. But I also uh, thank you, Lord, that you in your holiness came down and became a man, Lord, and died for our sins on the cross, Lord. When we look at the people who are suffering, we need to realize that you also suffer, Lord. And then you, were also, you also was hungry, and then you were also beaten, Lord, and you also died on the cross for our sins, Lord. I pray that you may use this church, or every single one of us here, in whichever way that you see fit, Lord, and that you may uh, help us, Lord, be not only uh, an aid physically but also spiritually um, for any person that we may come in contact or family members and so forth Lord and we pray for your church Lord to rise up Lord we pray for revival Lord we pray for salvation we pray for the gospel to be preached in all these places Lord we pray that this um, horrible situations that are happening in the different places Lord there may be things that work out for good Lord and, 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 and that may bring revival to these places and salvation, Lord, uh, may spread about, Lord. And uh, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, Lord, and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Followers of the Way podcast. If you like more information about Followers of the Way Church, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. Again, that's www 
www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. We trust and hope that you've enjoyed hearing God's word and how to apply it to our lives. Our podcast is updated weekly, so remember to follow us here at Followers of the Way.